The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Who rules over you? Simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH. I'm Andy, your host. And before we start today's show, I would like to thank Crystal for her recent donation. If you are able to support the show, please go to andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com, click the banner at the top of the website, how you can keep ACH on the air, or scroll down on the right-hand side and buy a book or two or three or whatever you would like. Today is Thursday, so it's time for the weekly visit of my good friend, Dr. Peter Hammond from South Africa. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Great to have you on, as always. And folks, I'm going to, um, this might interest some of the people out there. These are the sort of things that interest me. I'm the kind of guy that when I watch a DVD, I'm always interested in the extras and sometimes the commentary and things like that. Give you an idea of how we come up with our show titles. Peter emailed me earlier and he said, how about the real hope for victory over communism? And I looked at that and I thought, that's good. How about the real prospect of victory over communism? And something about this real prospect, uh, it was familiar to me somewhere. And so I suddenly cottoned on that very famous George H.W. Bush speech. And uh, so I'm going to play it to you now, just a few seconds of what he says about the new world order. Here we go, folks. Now we can see a new world coming into view. A world in which there is the very real prospect of a new world order. So I'd like to thank uh, George Bush for helping Peter and I with the title today. It's been a three-way effort to come up with the very real prospect of victory over communism. So Peter, when would you like to start us off today with this? Andrew, you and I both know that there's two kinds of extremes that we often get. There are those people who want to say there's no problem. They deny the problem. They've got their proverbial head in the sand and they refuse to actually acknowledge the real problems. But amongst our circles, it's far more likely that you have people who fully see the problem, but maybe they've given up hope and they fling up their hands and say there is no hope and everything's only going to get worse. And we need a bit of a balance between recognizing the real serious deadly problems, the threat to life and liberty and Western Christian civilization, uh, all of our freedoms at risk. And that's true. And that's important that we recognize the problem. But we also need to see the hope and not to give in to defeatism. Uh, so often we come across a pessimistic mentality evidenced in a phrase like every 
everything is only going to get worse or everything is always going to get worse. And so many have succumbed. Peter has just dropped out. We're going to see if we can uh, get him back on. So you can hear that it's calling again now. Let's see if uh, we can get Peter back up here. Peter, are you with us? Okay, folks, let's see. Uh, we did have a problem before we started recording where uh, Peter dropped out. So um, let's see if we can get him back. Otherwise, I'm going to jump into something else and hope that he can join us. Um, let's go to uh, let's go to the beginning of this uh, George W. Bush. I'll include the um, YouTube for it. It's only 2 minutes 40 and it says George H.W. Bush, New World Order, four different New World Order speeches. So let's go to the beginning and play you what else he had to say. Out of these troubled times, our fifth objective, a new world order can emerge, a new era, freer from the threat of terror, stronger in the pursuit of justice, and more secure in the quest for peace. An era in which the nations of the world, East and West, North and South, can prosper and live in harmony. A hundred generations have searched for this elusive path to peace, while a thousand wars raged across the sp Okay, Peter, we're still on the air. What I did was I um, started playing the start of the George H.W. Uh, YouTube, George H.W. Bush. Yes. So if you'd like to continue, you were talking about the importance of having hope in these difficult times. If you can take us forward from there, please. Certainly will. Yes. Well, it's so important to be plugged in, to be switched on and to be connected. And we do know that when it comes to Big Brother watching, they might press the wrong button and interfere with some of our connectivity over the airwaves. They're those people who've given into an attitude of failure and frustration. And while some fail to see the problem, others claim there's no hope. An attitude of victimhood can only lead to defeat and retreat. But we cannot accept this defeatist perspective. In the daily battles of life, we cannot allow ourselves to give into depression or to fatigue. There's always hope. God is sovereign. Nothing is inevitable except what God has decreed. There's great power in prayer. Nothing is beyond the reach of prayer except that which is outside the will of God. Christians are not doomed to defeat. We're called to victory. If God can change us, then he can use us to change some part of this world. Christians have changed the course of history by prayer and obedience to God. And the Bible is full of examples of believers who through faith conquered kingdoms, Hebrews 11:33. In my own lifetime, I've seen numerous examples of the power of prayer, of regeneration, of revival to transform lives and to change history. The power of the word of God, the power of the printed page has brought about some astounding reversals of fortune. Light is more powerful than darkness. Not all the darkness can put out the smallest candle. Truth is more powerful than deception. A person can have a whole lifetime of deception and yet, you know, truth has a very a unique, distinct uh, sound, and truth can often break one free from decades of deception. Resistance is more powerful than revolution. And just thinking of the Iron Curtain, Margaret Thatcher said so uh, eloquently, the Berlin Wall is concrete proof that when people have a choice, they choose to be free. 
Freedom has its problems, but we have never needed to build walls to keep our people in. As Margaret Thatcher also said, the problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's money. And uh, I've seen victory over communism on a number of occasions. And it's so important to encourage ourselves and encourage our friends and co-workers in this fight for freedom that victory is assured. Ultimately, all these communist regimes will implode upon themselves because they are self-destructive. And as Psalm 34 verse 21 says, evil will slay the wicked. And in fact, they do destroy themselves. You just think of those who believe in the lie of safe sex and who sow sex education and promote promiscuity and perversion, they will reap the inevitable consequences of STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, AIDS, herpes, gonorrhea, and a whole host of others, because what you sow is what you reap. And those who worship the idol of chance by squandering the earnings and gambling, they will end up as bankrupt as those who engage in the unworkable wastage of socialism and welfare. Uh, those who promote the theory of evolution are promoting a meaningless existence in a chance universe. You came from nothing, you're going nowhere. It was Joseph Stalin who said that evolution leads to revolution. And so he understood that removing God from the equation and heaven and day of judgment and right and wrong, removing God's law, it, evolution makes place for revolution. Well, the fact is that those people who believe that you came from nowhere, you going, you came from nothing, you're going nowhere, life is meaningless. Well, that's very depressing. And think about education. By removing the Bible from schools, by purging all moral values from education, humanist, secular, socialist schools inevitably end up with a functionally illiterate, incompetent, incapable, and immoral generation. By banning enforcement of discipline of children, these secular humanists and secularists are making rods for their own backs as these children grow up to be rebellious, lawless, selfish adults. And those who advocate alternative lifestyles and promote privileges for perverts, uh, they will inevitably undermine the essential foundations of society, which is the family. And by campaigning for abortion, the pro-choices are destroying their own descendants. They are aborting their own futures. So, in short, atheism, on which communism is based, offers no God, no future, no hope. But obedience to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ can result in the joy of sins forgiven and peace of heart and mind and a restored relationship of love with God as our Father. And Jesus Christ gives his people spiritual life now, eternal life after death, abundant life always. The future belongs to people of God. Those who live clean, moral lives, who remain faithful to the marriage partner, will have the best chances for surviving the AIDS plague and other of these STDs. And those who work hard and save wisely and spend their money carefully will be blessed with financial security. Because biblical free enterprise produces wealth and rewards hard work and ingenuity. And those who invest their lives in bringing up God-fearing children, ensuring that they receive Bible-based education, they will inherit the future. As Christians, we need to believe in the future. We need to believe in tomorrow because we believe in a God who's the beginning and the end. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords and he controls the future and he answers the prayers of his people. We read in Revelation 17 verse 14, they will make war against the Lamb of God, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. 
So there's a lot of reasons for us to be positive about the future. And I just think of when I was converted to Christ early in 1977, a missionary from Overseas Missionary Fellowship, the old China Inland Mission of Hudson Taylor, came to visit our church and urged us to pray for God to open the doors to Red China. Now, at the time, that seemed impossible. Red China was a communist country which had annihilated the church and banned all foreign missions. Brutal slave labor camps, ongoing harassment, persecution of Christians made it quite clear that the battle for the soul of China was still raging, and it's still raging today. However, in the past, many people questioned if the church had even survived the Cultural Revolution, the second phase of the revolution in China. Now we know that there are well over 100 million Christians in Red China, vastly more the number of communists in the Communist Party, and a real headache for the communists in China. In 1980, I remember Brother Andrew speaking about his goal of smuggling a million Bibles into China, which was called Operation Pearl, and that seemed too impossible to me. And yet this Project Pearl succeeded in smuggling over a million Bibles into Red China. And the church in China is strong, it's vibrant, it's growing. Well, when I first began praying for Marxist Mozambique in 1980, it was firmly closed to the gospel. And many of my friends and family thought that I was foolish to attempt to enter Marxist Mozambique on a motorbike. Loaded with a thousand gospels and a hundred New Testaments of Portuguese and Shangan and the 16 millimeter Jesus form, yet God opened the doors to this closed country and time and again, I succeeded in delivering tons of Bibles and relief aid and showing Christian films throughout that war-torn communist country. And Mozambique today is open to the gospel. When we began our work, barely 4% of the population of Mozambique would have called themselves Protestants. Now, more than 34% would claim to be evangelical Christians. So Mozambique is a major answer to prayer. And Red China shows us the failure of communism to completely subjugate and annihilate the church as they claimed that they had done. Well, when I first saw the Berlin Wall in the 1970s and smuggled through Checkpoint Charlie in early 1988, it was symbolic of the Iron Curtain. There were many crosses in memory of those who had been shot in the back while fleeing the socialist utopia that East Germany was meant to be. It seemed that Nothing could remove the Iron Curtain in our lifetime except the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, I was persuaded to take part in the seven-year Jericho prayer march, the focus on bring down the Iron Curtain and opening up Eastern Europe to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was launched in 1982. Well, incredibly, in 1989, after seven years of this Jericho prayer focus, this, in the seventh year of this intensive prayer focus, the Berlin Wall fell. And the Iron Curtain collapsed, and dictatorships were toppled, and the whole of Eastern Europe and Russia experienced unprecedented openness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, there's vastly more Christians in the uh, Russian, uh, what used to be the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union, and uh, what today is the Russian Federation. Uh, there's more Christians in Russia than are in any other country in Eastern Europe uh, or in Western Europe. And in fact, uh, it's extraordinary that the second largest number of Christians in Europe is in Ukraine. The third largest is in Romania. And it just shows that decades of violent communist persecution and atheist indoctrination failed to destroy the church in Eastern Europe. Uh, but I'm afraid weakness 
has resulted in the Western church. It seems that adversary, adversity is not a real enemy. It's apathy. And so the churches that were persecuted in Eastern Europe are very strong today. And I'm afraid the churches in the West are pretty weak today, and that's sad. Well, when my wife and I first ministered in Romania on Easter service in 1989, we experienced the oppression of communism, and we witnessed the tyranny of Ceausescu, the dictator. And along with millions of others, we prayed. And before that momentous year of 1989 had ended, we saw the dictator Ceausescu executed, communist symbols smashed, and God's word openly proclaimed in the public squares of Romania. In 1966, Albania declared itself to be the first fully atheistic country in the world. And yet, in answer to fervent prayer, the communist government of Albania was forced to reopen many churches in 1990. Oppression did continue, but tens of thousands packed the few open churches each week until a communist regime was overthrown. And we'll when Bill Bath and I drove into Albania, we were inundated with ministry opportunities. We met a people hungry to hear about the God whom they'd be been forbidden to even whisper about. I met someone who'd gone to concentration camp for five years for merely whispering to somebody, God bless you. That was enough for five years hard labor in a concentration camp. And so we saw Albania opened up. When I first visited Yugoslavia and heard the people of Croatia talking about the need for independence, I was highly skeptical that it had any chance of a success. Yugoslavia consisted of six republics, five nations, four languages, three major religions, two alphabets and calendars, but only one political party, the Communist Party. Yet within two years, Croatia and Slovenia declared their independence. When I first visited Bratislava in Czechoslovakia, talk of the Slovakians seceding from Czechoslovakia seemed unrealistic and impossible. Yet by God's grace, and in answer to much prayer and action on the ground, communist rule in Czechoslovakia collapsed in 1989. And by 1993, the Slovak Republic seceded from Czech Republic, what they called the Velvet Divorce, because no one was killed or injured. It was, it was peacefully done. In the same way, we've seen Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, the three Baltic states, which were occupied over the centuries by Sweden, Poland, then Russia. We saw them break free from Marxist Soviet Union and become free and independent republics. In the same way, I've seen Ukraine and Hungary and Bulgaria and Russia itself succeeding in throwing off the communist yoke and rebuilding thousands of churches which had been confiscated and damaged or destroyed. Do you know when the Bolsheviks seized Russia in 1917, there were over 50,000 congregations in the country. By 1941, when Operation Barbarossa started, there were not even 200. There were something like 180 churches in total, and not one Bible college, and not one mission station or uh, monastery in the whole country. Today, there's at least 30,000 congregations in Russia, and they're growing all the time. They're building new churches other hundreds every year. So we've seen the failure of atheism in Russia and the triumph of faith in Russia, very much uh, epitomized in the Church of Christ of the Savior in Moscow, which was destroyed, blown up on order of Fidel, on order of Joseph Stalin, 1941. Uh, 1931, he ordered it destroyed. 
and he was going to build a palace of the Soviets on the on the ground where this the largest church in Russia had been built. Well, he failed to build his palace of Soviets and of atheism that he wanted. And in 1991, they started to rebuild the Church of, of Christ the Savior. And by 1999, it was finished, and the year 2000 was consecrated. And this is a magnificent church, and it stands as a testament to the fact that Jesus Christ is building his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I could also point out to the work that we've done in Sudan since 1995, 25 years of working throughout Sudan, ministering south and north. I've conducted 27 missions to Sudan and delivered over half a million Bibles and books in 24 languages. And since uh, that time, another half a million have been distributed and delivered by frontline mission teams, including my son-in-law. And initially, even the leaders of the Sudanese People's Liberation Army, SPLA, were highly skeptical that the map could ever be rejoined. And uh, I remember arguing with Colonel John Garang, who said the Berlin Conference lines of Africa from 1884 to 1885 have never been changed, and that the UN and the African Union would never recognize an independent South Sudan because historically it was part of Islamic Arabic controlled Sudan. Well, interestingly enough, although I argued with Commander Silver Gear, the future, the present uh, president of Sudan, he was then second in command of the SPLA, that only independence for South Sudan could secure the freedom in the future. He argued, he said, it's not possible. Good idea that was. And yet, in less than 10 years, Silver Gear was president of an internationally recognized independent South Sudan. So from the very first day of independence, 1st of January 1956, the Arab North sought to Arabize and Islamize the South with brutal oppression, great devastation, and massive loss of life. So I showed from Sudan's history and from the teachings of Islam why the only way to be free of Sharia law and Arab oppression is to fight for the full independence and sovereignty of South Sudan and the Nubian Mountains. And although they were all very highly skeptical that this could be done at all, today Sudan is an independent country. And Silvaki has been its president since the 9th of July, 2011. We continue to campaign for freedom and independence for the Nuba Mountains, an island of Christianity and a sea of Islam, north of South Sudan. But even here, we've seen astounding developments and an unprecedented ceasefire and promising prospects for religious freedom and independence for the Nuba, because they've arrested, they toppled and arrested the dictator Omar al-Bashir, who for 29 years had oppressed Sudan and waged the war of jihad against the Christians in the South. He's on trial for corruption and war crimes. And the governor of Sudan, the interim government of civilians and military who seized power to get rid of him, they've promised to make uh, Omar al-Bashir available to the International Court of Justice to stand trial for genocide in the Nubian Mountains and Blue Nile and, and Darfur. So we have seen a lot of great developments and we have hundreds of thousands of Bibles and books ready to pre-position, pre ready to be distributed in Sudan, Islamic control northern Sudan. But the only reason why the devil is soft and winning is because the church is so solid and fighting. You can have the very best team, but if they're not on the field at the time of the match, they lose. And it's so important for us to be involved. You cannot victory without a battle. 
sacrifice and risk are essential. You can never win if we keep avoiding problems. We must solve problems by facing them and dealing with them. The future belongs to the brave and the bold. The Bible teaches us that we should have a holy dissatisfaction with second best. We should have a bold faith to trust God for great things, to step out in faith and to change what is wrong and to establish what is right in God's eyes. We must not underestimate the power of praying according to God's word and stepping out in faith and obedience to his commands. It is this faith that has enabled Christians to end child sacrifices, cannibalism, blood sports, polygamy, slavery, widow burning, and other atrocities. As the Apostle Paul declared, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So by faith and obedience, we can turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones, crisis situations into opportunities for ministry. We can turn battles into victories. We can be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. We can be overcomers. You can make a difference. You need to resist the revolution. You need to redeem your culture. You need to reclaim territory. We need to work for reformation. We need to pray for revival. We need to turn the tide. And it's so important that our people know you can change this world. You can make a difference. And we need more resistance to revolution. I've experienced it growing up in Rhodesia and uh, fighting in the South Economy in Southwest Africa and seeing the resistance to communism in our country too and ongoing resistance across the continent of Africa. But many people seem to think that there's no hope, and yet the Bible is full of hope. Just take some of the scriptural prophecies. And the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And hearing that the Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods of the land. The nations on every shore will worship him, everyone in his own land. And time and again we read in the scripture of how the Lord will overwhelm and overthrow all these evil powers. And the vision of Daniel, the head of gold, the chest of silver, the stomach of bronze, the legs of iron and clay, the feet of, of iron and clay, I should say. And the stone that the builders reject is worthless. The chief cornerstone struck the statue and it broke into pieces and, and the wind came and blew even the dust away. But the stone that represents the kingdom of God, grew to be a mountain that fills the whole earth. And these are some of the scriptural prophecies. We're not destined to defeat, we're called to victory, to conquest. And this is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what the Great Commission calls us to do. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth to Jesus. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that the Lord has commanded. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. So the Lord who gave us the Great Commission will enable it to be fulfilled. And there's no doubt that this is what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have great weapons in this fight. We have truth. We have real history. We can resist. We can take great encouragement from the Leipzig prayer meeting, which led the charge to see the bring down the Berlin Wall. The people would come with unlighted candles and one would be lit and then they'd light the others and, and it would spread like a sea of, of light uh, coming on as different candles were, were lit. And uh, the Leipzig prayer meeting was real resistance against communism, against terrorism. 
and the people would come home and switch off all lights in home, just put in an open window a candle symbolizing the power of light over darkness, the power of truth against deception, the fact that we will win and not all the darkness can put out the smallest candle. So I believe there is a lot of real hope for victory over communism. We have uh, a real promising prospect of defeat over communism because, let's face it, the New World Order communists, they are declaring war on God. And those who seek to fight the creator and the eternal judge, they will lose. The question is not, are we, is God on our side? No, the question is, are we on God's side? God is the one who owes our allegiance and he has the right to expect full allegiance from everyone that he's created. So I think it's super important that we be uh, positive in the midst of confronting the battle, that we look at the biblical vision and, and uh, instructions of victory. In his days, the righteous will flourish. Christ will rule from sea to sea, to the river, from the ends of the earth. His enemies will lick the dust. All kings will bow down to him. All nations shall serve him. And we have these promises that the Lord will be awesome in the day when he destroys all the gods of the land. Nations on every shore will worship everyone in his own land. And the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be only one Lord and his name, the only name. And we read about the kingdom of this God has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So there are many marks of victory and so many encouragements in the scripture that we should not try to rearrange in order to fit the negativity of our day. We need to be those who've got a positive vision of victory. Light is more powerful than darkness. Truth is more powerful than deception. The devil can spend generations putting some chains around people, but God, by his mercy and power, can shatter them in pieces in an instant. And so we need to be on the side of victory. We need to be on the Lord's side, on God's side, on the Creator's side, the side of the eternal judge and the only Savior there is, the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to Father except through Christ. So as Christians, we should remember in history the many great examples where resistance led to victory. And there's no reason for us to give up the fight now. We've got tremendous resource available. Just think of desktop publishing of community radio programs like this one, the power of the internet and social media and what you can do with Facebook and what you can do on the World Wide Web. Let's use the technology available to campaign for truth, for light, for deliverance for resistance. Let us not accept the negative, pessimistic, defeatist attitudes. What we need is a vision of victory. Without a vision, a people perish. Thank you, Andrew. Back to you. Thank you so much, Peter. Wise words and very uplifting words in these difficult times, uh, everything that's going on. Uh, we've got about 20 minutes left, and um, I'm going to run through with Peter some of the propaganda that we've been getting from the mainstream media. So there's going to be a few additional links in the post for today's show because I want you to, to see these because these are really important. In the UK on Tuesday, we became the first country to roll out this uh, Pfizer vaccine. And I'm going to give a couple of comments and go back and forth with Peter for his. And, you know, Peter's got a great nose for propaganda, as you all know. And this is the first one. Our health secretary, Matt Hancock, broke down in tears on Good Morning Britain as a grandmother, uh, aged 90, became the first person in the world to get approved COVID jab. And uh, this is what she said. 
I can look forward to spending time with my family after being on my own for most of the year. This is Daily Mail. And uh, the Daily Mail article, they referred to Tuesday this week, the 8th of December, as V-Day. Roll up your sleeves for V-Day, they said. I'll include the article Mm. in the post for this show. And I'm going to move on to the first man who got the vaccine in the UK, another 91-year-old. And this is... uh, Get this, Peter. Well, first I'll give you his comment. He said... I can hug my granddaughters now. And um, so you you can see where we're going with this. This is the sort of sickness. This is why you had all these lockdowns earlier in the year. So they can go to these elderly people and say, I'll take this and you can see your family again. These people should have been able to see their family in the first place. It's just over to you, Peter. I'm just going to go on a rant otherwise. Oh, Oh, well, no. It, it, it's quite shocking. This, this is really nauseating propaganda. And uh, first of all, as Christians, we need to remember there's a lot of warnings in the Bible. Do not be deceived. And then we are told in the book of Revelation that at the end time, God will send an angel to bind Satan so that he might deceive the nations no more. And we have several pastors telling us that Satan's deceiving the nations now. Now, uh, what way is the world being deceived now if you find yourself in agreement with the world whether we talk about the world council of churches the united nations the eu uh the bolshevik broadcasting corporation the communist news network or the slime magazine newspeak useless news and world report if you find yourself in agreement with the wuhan health organization and so on then you've got to know you've been deceived the bible warns us do not be deceived satan destroy is deceiving nations and it's plain that nations are being deceived right now and then there's the other warning in revelation 13 about how satan seeks to bring about a one world government a new world order if you like a one world government with a one world economic system and a one world religious system where people will be required to receive a mark without which they will not be allowed to buy or sell. So this is Satan's fingerprints, and it goes all the way back to the time of Nero in the first century in the Roman Empire, where you had to burn incense before an image of Caesar, in this first case, Nero, or you would not be allowed to buy and sell in the marketplace. And the people would often take some of the ash of the incense that they had uh, burned and had to put on either their wrist or on their forehead to show that they had... uh, uh, done their statist, idolatrous uh, obeisance, or they would not be allowed to buy and sell. And this was also tried out during the French Revolution. This was tried by Muhammad as well. If you didn't bow to Mecca and leave a bit of dirt on your forehead, you weren't allowed to buy or sell in the marketplace. And, uh, of course, in the Soviet Union, if you weren't a Communist Party member, if, if the children didn't wear the red scarf, if you couldn't get to school, you couldn't get to uh, buy and sell if you weren't uh, willing to... Uh, bow to society, bow to the state religion. And you think of Nebuchadnezzar, he required everyone to bow to the statue, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no. They stood firm. Our God, whom we serve, is able to save us, and he will. But even if he does not save us, we still won't bow before your idols, nor will we serve your gods. And so this is the vision of of, uh, the scriptures, is resistance. When Daniel was told no one is allowed to pray to anyone except the king, He continued to pray to the Lord, Yahweh, and he was, of course, 
um, thrown to the lion's den, but he was safer in the lion's den in the sense of God's will than he was in bed outside of God's will. And so uh, we need to fear God and not fear man. And so when it comes to vaccinations, honestly, Andrew, I would rather chew broken glass while crawling across a minefield being bombed by the Muslims than to uh, take their vaccinations. As Christians, I believe we cannot take the vaccinations and it's nauseating the kind of propaganda. Uh, you've got your propaganda out in Britain. Well, we've got ours here in, in South Africa. We go down the street and just endlessly see signs on every single lamppost. Um, why do you stay at home? Because you care for your neighbor. Uh, why do you wear the mask? Because you care for your children and grandchildren. If you're over 55, stay at home. And uh, literally, <laughs> propaganda of the propaganda. And I just had to go up to Pretoria, which is 1,400 kilometers away from Cape Town, uh, to conduct a biblical worldview seminar this last weekend. It was very nice to meet people who regularly listen to ACH and who actually came to know my work through ACH. So thank you for that. And uh, but on the uh, in the airport terminal, we continue at these broadcasts going in the background and there's these billboards and signs about masks and so on. And it just reminded me of a dystopian futuristic movie with an ongoing mindless propaganda. And, you know, you keep us safe. We keep you safe, all safe together. Wear your mask at all times. Uh, keep your mask covering nose and mouth at all times. And uh, this, that, and the other, it's over and over the propaganda. You have to listen to this 20, 30, 40 times, just going in and out of the airport tunnels. And, and they've all got this sickly uh, kind of uh, tone of voice of, of the propagandists. And these, everywhere we drove in Joburg and Pretoria on the freeways and so on, they've got these massive billboards, some of them right over the road that you can't help but see them uh, and uh, with these mindless propaganda of the COVID-19 crisis and epidemic and pandemic and all these nonsense and they try to persuade you promote the vaccine and so on look if the vaccine was so great uh, people would be clamoring up for it anyway uh, but what you've got here is a COVID cult and how do you get people to uh, submit to what they want well, you start off with serious abuse of isolation. When people are fully isolated, uh, then they are willing to do almost anything to get out of that isolation. So after the total complete lockdown that we had, next thing it was, will you allow to go out if you wear this mask? And if you and many people then, oh, you know, whatever I've got to do, as long as I can get out and be able to get back to work or business or travel and so on. And so what they've done is they've managed to get people to do things they'd never have done before because they first isolate them, abuse them, propagandize them. They sold uh, all kinds of fear. And let's face it, all their predictions have failed to come true. They were first talking about hundreds of millions of people are going to die from COVID-19. And uh, well, in fact, it's nowhere close to as bad as the Black Death of the bubonic plague of the 1300s. And it's nowhere close to as bad as the Spanish flu of 1918 either. But nevertheless, even if you've got a 99% chance of survival and so on, uh, and even if it doesn't meet the definition of pandemic until they changed the definition of pandemic just last year, interestingly, uh, all the same, they are pushing this fear and it makes no sense. More people die of car accidents than of COVID-19. More people die of tuberculosis and of cancer than from COVID-19. And you could carry on with the different needs. But what we're facing is complete and utter propaganda. And I must say the vaccination thing is the next part of it. And there's no way I can accept it for several reasons. 
first of all, we don't accept anything mandatory from the state. And there's a lot of evidence that the uh, people involved in this vaccination take the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, they have done all kinds of patents and they've put billions of dollars into research into uh, nanotechnology. You know what nanotechnology is? That, they, that you can plant in a person a small little microchip that can be tracked. In fact, they've got the technology now that in, when you get a vaccination, not only would you receive in the vaccination, which, by the way, includes things like aborted baby fetal tissue DNA, uh, which should be a major conscience uh, problem for any Christian at all. And reportedly, there's, there's a certain amount of pork uh, in the gelatine sign as well, which should uh, have all Jews and, and all Muslims saying, I will not take that at all. But every Christian, everyone who's pro-life should refuse to take something that was produced using aborted babies' fetal tissue. Uh, but uh, more seriously than even that is that the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have the technological capability to, while giving you the vaccination, to plant also a microchip in you that will enable you to be tracked and harvest your DNA in the same operation with the same um, uh, injection uh, gun being used uh, so that they've now got your DNA harvested and uh, able to be uh, documented. So they've got unique DNA details harvested for the database, and they have put a microchip in you that can enable them to track you, as well as, of course, turning you into a genetically modified human. You know, we've got GMO uh, uh, plants. Well, they can, we can now have a GMO people as well. And again, another big major red flag, a neon light uh, screaming siren about this is that the vaccination producers, which includes the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in America, which has got 20 patents and makes four and a half billion dollars a year from, from a vaccination. So they're not uh, um, a no conflict of interest character. They're very much involved in the vaccination industry, the CDC. Uh, but these vaccination producers sought indemnity uh, from Congress and Parliament against any legal suits for people getting uh, after effects or paralysis or death as a result of vaccinations. And this should be a mega warning to us because if you believe in your product and your products are so safe, why do you need indemnities uh, from any kind of lawsuits that may come about from uh, people suffering ill effects from the vaccination? So back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And uh, folks, I really don't know where to go with these two Daily Mail articles. I've already missed bits off them, and I'm only looking at the headline and the sort of four or five sub-headlines they always have below the top uh, Daily Mail article. But um, the guy that I referred to who said, uh, I can hug my granddaughters now, the start of the headline is, Pensioner 91 becomes national treasure with interview about COVID vaccine. So he's a national treasure because he took this vaccine. And then uh, I'm going to jump back to Peter with this one. I said about the It's V-Day, which of course is a take on VE Day. Well, what also happened was um, I got an email again from the government because I, uh, after a a member of the audience um, wrote in with a, a petition to sign 
uh, making a debate in, so they have to have a debate in Parliament that these vaccines should not be mandatory. They've written back and said they're having the debate on the 14th of December. And I got an email yesterday saying that a comment had been made in the House about it, House of Commons. And I didn't actually see a direct comment, but they showed, because they sent me a link to a parliamentary video. And Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary again, the guy was crying that I told you about after someone got the first vaccine, maybe they're a relative of his. But basically, uh, he said in the comments, he said, do your bit for your country, get the vaccine, do your bit for your country. So we've got all this link to patriotism, which is an absolute joke in the UK, uh, because there is no patriotism, certainly not from the governments. Uh, and then, in this other Daily Mail headline, uh, they say that... Um, well, the full headline, as I said, Matt Hancock breakdown, breaks down in tears on Good Morning Britain as Grandmother 90 becomes first person in the world to get approved COVID jab. And then in brackets, with William Shakespeare, 81, not far behind. So you can see how they're weaving in all these old traditional, you know, English, uh, very British things like VE Day and, you know, do your bit for your country. And now they've got the name William Shakespeare in there. Uh, Peter, your comments. Ah. Mm. Oh. It's nauseating. I mean, how gullible do they think we are? This is George Orwellian 1984 Newspeak Double Think uh, uh, Mini Truth or Ministry of Truth, which deals with lies and deception. This is grotesque. It's it's so insulting. And uh, uh, to uh, use the zoom lens and to have some kind of uh, sob story, feel good, uh, manipulative kind of uh, emotional twaddle uh, there, but now I can hug my grandchild. Why couldn't he hug his grandchild so far? You know, first of all, just think of the logical inconsistencies. Um, if the masks work, then why do you need social distancing? And if the social distancing works, why do you need masks? And if masks and social distancing work, then why do we need lockdowns? And if lockdowns work, then why do we need masks and social distance and, and uh, social distancing? And why is it that my mask keeps me safe, but it won't work unless you have your mask on too. And how is it possible that this vaccination will keep you safe, but only if everyone around me also has the vaccination? How is it that my vaccination is going to magically keep me safe from the disease, but only if everyone around me also has to have the vaccination? So it doesn't make sense. It's so illogical because if, if these masks are so great, well, then why do you need the vax? If the vax is so great, why do you need the mask? And already they're telling us you'll still have to wear the mask and do social distancing and we'll still need part of the regulation lockdown even after you get the vaccinations. So what they're doing is it's step by step uh, getting people to be willing to sell up more of their freedoms and liberties uh, in exchange for promise from the government of uh, safety and security. And uh, right now, uh, this idea of this vaccination being this magic opening up of the whole world. Well, don't think that they intend to take away masks, lockdown, social distancing, or any of these other restrictions when the vaccination comes out. They've already made it clear. In fact, I, when I went to the doctor, because I've got a scorpion bite and I've got a, an infected swollen leg right now from a scorpion bite of the week, I've got the swollen um, uh, throbbing um, uh, leg from that. Uh, my doctor... Uh, cheerfully inform me that it's going to be at least another three years of lockdowns uh, because of the time it's going to take to roll out all the vaccinations. And even then, the vaccination won't guarantee anything because 
uh, inevitably the virus will mutate and you're going to have to have other vaccinations on other vaccinations. So you've got the people propagandized in the medical fraternity who are really prepared for the fact that there's going to be multiple vaccinations required and you're going to still have to keep all the masks, social distancing and lockdown requirements at the same time. So this is one big scam, but they keep pretending that this next step, when you do this step, this will free you up and open up and then you can hug your grandchild and go back to business and travel and so on. But meanwhile, that's not the plan at all. When you listen to them, it's just part of an ongoing control system. And I fear that this vaccination, well, there's a lot of fears about the vaccination. The one thing is I don't like the idea of becoming a genetically modified human being. I don't like the idea of all these vast amounts of things that are the ingredients being pumped into my system. Uh, it, just to read the ingredients in a vaccination will make your hair curl and uh, horrify you. And you should insist on wanting to know what's in it um, because that's your right. And it, it's the sort of thing you'd never want to eat. <laughs> if they inject all those things into an apple, you wouldn't eat the apple. Why would you want to put it straight into your bloodstream? But the the danger here is that this could be the microchip type thing warned about in Revelation 13, a real mark where you're being nanochipped with a uh, at the same time as the vaccination. They're harvesting your DNA. They're putting in a nanochip that they can track you and you're being genetically modified with the DNA of aborted baby fetal tissue as well uh, in this vaccination. And if that doesn't horrify you, just think of the fact that Bill Gates is a eugenicist who wants to bring down the world's population dramatically. We've got over 7 billion people worldwide. He thinks we've got to have much less than 1 billion, preferably 100 million. So here's someone who wants to reduce the world's population dramatically. Why would you think that the vaccination program that he's promoting so enthusiastically is going to extend your life and save your life when this man is committed to bringing human population down? So there's a conflict of interest here and why would we really believe that the pharmaceutical companies, which make billions out of us being sick, wants us to be cured and protected from getting sick? And why would we believe that governments who like to encroach on our freedoms and, and uh, accelerate and accentuate their own power, why do you think that they actually want what's good for us? Have you seen every, any evidence that these corrupt government officials really care about you as a person and individual and care about your health and your life expectancy? Uh, the situation is so riddled with, with inaccuracies and contradictions that nobody can possibly think about this for a few moments without saying, this is highly suspicious. I don't want anything to do with this. Mandatory vaccination is not just unhealthy, it could be a threat to our life. It will certainly be a threat to your health. Uh, it might even be a threat to your life. It will certainly be a threat to your freedom. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And Peter touched on um, gelatine being in the vaccines. Now, I've got uh, uh, another page here. This is from gov.uk, so it's official government uh, website page. Vaccines and porcine gelatine, updated 10th of November 2020. And... Um, Basically, if you scroll down to the second paragraph on the view of faith communities, it says Public Health England acknowledges that there is diversity within the British Muslim and Jewish communities, and they and some other groups may consider medicines and vaccines containing any porcine product, i.e. gelatine, to be forbidden. In these circumstances, it is likely that the individual would be unable to accept many pharmaceutical 
products. So there you go. They're rolling out. They're saying that there are religious exemptions for these. But look at the two groups that they're referring to. Um, I find that very interesting that they're referring to the Jews and Muslims. We know with the kosher and the halal, they are quoting the truth. These people uh, tend to avoid pork products. But when we look at, uh, in the UK, the way that uh, the Muslim grooming gangs were essentially protected by the police and the local authority because they didn't want to be accused of racism, and then we see how our governments all around the Western world sign up to this definition of anti-Semitism, which includes uh, accusing uh, Jews of having control over media, banking, which they freely admit in many of their own publications that I've quoted numerous times on this show. Um, is anti-Semitic, then you can see that these are two groups that have found favour in governments throughout the West, whilst the indigenous white populations of these countries haven't. And I'm going to jump over lastly to, um, this is an interesting article, it's only 8th of December uh, 2020, so only two days ago, this is from lbc.co.uk, which is probably the most Im- um most popular independent radio station talk radio station in the uk headline what ingredients are in the pfizer covid vaccine and it's quite a short article but you think that they tell you what they were if you've got a headline what ingredients are in the pfizer covid vaccine but you scroll down to the second to last the well you've got a heading the same heading within the article and the last line is at present the full list of ingredients in the pfizer vaccine have not been released. So they've not even told you what's in there. So you don't even know if this is one that contains gelatin and what have you. And it boggles my mind that people would consider taking something that they are not told what's in it and they just freely go and take it and they queue up for it. And it it, it does fill me with a a great deal of disappointment that we have such an unquestioning public when they can see what their governments have done to them over the last decades, if not centuries. Peter, uh, we've still got a a few seconds left, so back to you for your final comment. Yes, uh, this is a time for a healthy dose of scepticism, caution, need for discernment. Let's resist the propaganda, resist the fear. Governments like to sell fear and themselves as saviour. Well, there's only one saviour. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and life. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the only hope for mankind. This is the reason for the season. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's not put our faith in government, nor let us accept the fear they're selling to us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And so it's so important that we be free-thinking people, that we resist mandatory vaccinations. If people want some things I've written and said on this, I was actually giving lectures on these very issues of vaccinations, masks, and the whole pandemic, scamdemic, uh, over the weekend at a Biblical Worldview Summit in Pretoria. So you can visit our www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org, uh, and we'll be having under the Biblical Worldview Seminar uh, that I did in Pretoria a whole lot of the videos and presentations, which you may find helpful and uh, uh, to share with others and so on. But definitely you've got to ask if somebody wants to inject you with something, what's in it? And they must tell you. And You've got every right to refuse when you find out what there is in it. But I would be even more skeptical over the fact that this could be a a DNA harvesting, a genetically modifying and a nanochip planting tracking device in us at the same time. The technology exists and the Bill Gates Foundation has invested billions into this technology and uh, they also 
are very publicly standing on the principle that the world is overpopulated and they want to bring the world's population down uh, from 7.7 billion to under a billion to preferably 100 million. And you can imagine that you and I are probably part of the surplus population that these eugenicists, the New World Order globalists, would like to see, uh, what do we call it, culled, removed. And uh, do you really want to be a guinea pig for the New World Order's uh, vaccination program? So very good reasons to say no. And um, I can hug my grandchild all the time. I don't have the vax. I hug my grandchildren every day because um, I'm not going to allow any government propaganda to keep me from interacting with my grandchildren. And so, uh, no, thank you. I don't need a vaccination to hug my grandchildren. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thanks for giving us these uh, links and contacts. Always very useful, everything you put in the post, and it helps us to resist the new world order. Thank you so much, Peter. And what we'll do today, a bit like uh, the shows were there at Carlstrom, the posts for the shows rather, we'll have a section for the links for today's show. And then below that, we will have the links to Peter's website. So please check them out. There's more than the uh, Frontline Fellowship that he mentioned. There's five or six down there. So have a good look at them. I want to thank Peter so much for joining me today. You have been listening to the very real prospect of victory over communism. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, folks, bye for now.